Reading now from Luke 13. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were worse offenders than the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this tree and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, did you hear what happened down at the temple? How those poor souls were worshiping and in walked Pilate's terrorists and mowed them down? Yeah. Awful. And what about down near the pool of Siloam? How that tower fell, crushed those people. They were just there. Fell on. If it could happen to them, it could happen to anyone. We don't know when terror will strike. We don't know when structures will collapse. We don't know when we will perish. Jesus knew the talk of the town. He heard from people. He listened to people. He didn't need some intrepid reporter coming up to him and saying, where was God in the midst of this tragedy? Do you know that that is what people were asking? Wondering? They wondered. Was it because those people were particularly sinful that God allowed Pilate to have them killed? That God allowed that tower to fall on them? Was it their fault that these things Jesus didn't accept the premise that bad things happen to bad people or explain why bad things happen to good people. He did say that they were not extra sinful, just as it wasn't extra sinfulness that sent Hurricane Katrina to New Orleans or Hugo to South Carolina. The tower falling. The murders in the temple were not a judgment on where people lived or where they were from, Galileans, Jerusalemites. They were struck, Jesus said, because these things happen. They happen to those people, even though they didn't deserve it. Their lives were cut short. After countering the idea that their sin led to their death, Jesus changed the conversation. 
It wasn't that they deserve it. It wasn't some kind of divine judgment for human sin. But don't miss the lesson, he said. At any moment, on any day, it could be you. I hesitate to say that because of what it could reinforce. Too often a word like that reinforces the idea that Jesus was some kind of extremist. Too demanding to be heard, better to ignore sometimes. Occasionally it reinforces what it was intended to. Awakening, assessment, prioritizing, cutting away that which does not matter to make room and time and energy for what does, for relationships, for service, for God. Sometimes talk of sudden death reinforces fear, imprisoning fear. The reality that at any moment it could be you too often leads people to do whatever they can to avoid death rather than doing whatever they can to live life. They imagine worst case scenarios. Or the improbable but technically possible attacks or diseases that are discussed on 24-hour news cycles and they become captive to it. The what-ifs take over. They look at others with suspicion. Whole cities and forms of transportation are are eliminated from their possible list of places to go and things to do. Every time a child leaves the security of their home, they shudder with what might happen just beyond their eyesight. I don't want to feed that. It's no way to live. Even as I say, any day it could be you. I'm concerned I'm feeding that kind of anxiety. So hear me. Hear me. Jesus did not say, do not go near towers because they could fall. He did not say, do not go worship to worship because you could be attacked. He did not say, if you have to go near towers, wear hard hats, and if you have to go to worship, pack heat. In fact, he said, I think, the opposite of that one. Rather than tell us what to avoid in order to avoid tragedy, Jesus told us what to embrace. He said to repent. Repent. Let me clarify what we mean by repent, because too often we've been conditioned to hear repent and think regret. We're sorry for what we've done. We're we're going to try to do better to avoid the bad. We'll be less bad and and less part of the bad. That's a portion of it. But if all repentance is, is regret and avoidance, we're not far off from that idea that God is just waiting to push a tower over all those who aren't sorry enough or didn't avoid enough bad. In the New Testament, the word is metanoia, which is really more conversion than repentance. It's about a new way of thinking, a new way of being. Surely in that new way of thinking, that new way of being, there will be parts of the old ways that we avoid. But life in Jesus isn't built on avoidance. It is built on acceptance, accepting him, accepting his teachings. 
accepting His way of living, joining Him in that. It's meant to give us more life, not less. Jesus cautioned when describing the tragic deaths of those killed in the temple and those killed by the tower, that unless you repent, you will perish just as they did, which must mean there's a way to perish differently than they did. For centuries, most of which included crude and dangerous forms of health care, there was great motivation to die well. Everyone knew someone who died at every stage of life. Far more people died in their 40s than in their 80s. It was not uncommon to love and lose throughout life. People experienced this regularly. It's only been a modern invention to give more time to dying, to avoiding death, than to dying well. Dying well means accepting that we will die. And as a result, living lives that are awake and engaged. We give attention to what deserves attention rather than mindlessly, passively going through life, accepting whatever comes our way. We give effort to reconciling where there has been division. To saying those things that need to be said and doing those things that need to be done. We don't put off getting to know our Lord and practicing our faith in hopes that one day there will be time. Dying well is possible when we've lived well. Jesus said, unless we repent, we'll perish as those who died in the temple or beneath the tower's rubble. For repentance will lead to perishing differently. If we're to perish differently, well, then we need to know what it was like for those who perished as they did, those who were killed. What were they like? We really don't know much. We know that some were engaged in a form of worship and some were near a tower that fell, that they, according to Jesus, were not worse sinners than the rest of the people from Galilee and Jerusalem. Beyond that, about the only thing we know is that Jesus speaks of them differently than He does most. He speaks of them distantly, as if He didn't know them, only about them. Perhaps the way to perish differently is to perish as one who knows Jesus, as one who is in relationship with Jesus. I don't know what that means for those who are not. But for those of us who claim the name of Jesus, I think that means we're to give attention to knowing Jesus. To spending time with Jesus. To growing in Him. To growing with Him. To growing like Him. Jesus addressed the tragedies that those people brought to him by calling his listeners to repentance so that they will perish differently. He never suggested that they would not perish. He just suggested they might perish differently. And then he told a parable. There's a man who was tired of his unproductive tree. He came up on it, 
called his gardener over it. Tired of this tree not giving me the fruit I want? Cut it down, make room for another tree? But the gardener pleaded with him. Can you give me a year? Can you give me time to nurture this tree? To give it some nourishment and some care? Will you let me do what I can for this tree that it might produce the fruit you want it to? And they struck a deal. I'll come back in a year. If it has fruit, we'll leave it up. If it doesn't, it comes down. The gardener did what he could. He could not affect in any way what kind of fruit the tree would produce. Only he could do his part to try to give the fruit the best chance it would have to produce fruit. The best chance that it would have to produce fruit that was good. Had they cut it off from the life source, the roots, all the tree would have done is die. In seasons of fruit bearing and in death-like winters, how the tree lives and how the tree dies is different depending on how the tree is nourished. The invitation is to live differently that we may die differently. That we might get to die as those who are secure in the nourishing arms of our Lord and Savior. A good life and a good death are gifts our Lord longs to give us. Do not wait until the tree is already cut down to recognize how you wanted that, that you needed that. Don't be a stranger to the one who longs to give you life.